Welcome to Words of Aloha with Pastor Izzy Manzo of Amazing Grace Ministries International. We're headquartered in Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii. Join us now as we get into God's Word. Lord, we thank you that we get to gather in my house today on this nice rainy morning. We, uh, we get to sing Grace Like Rain, Lord. We pray that just as we sang that, Lord, your grace would indeed be poured out on us in this place. And one of the ones that, um, Lord, they got fed this morning down at the beach, that that breakfast just gave them a, a, a warm meal and encouragement to their heart. And uh, that, Lord, you would continue your work in our lives this morning as we look at your word just fill us with the things of your spirit that we need that we could grow closer to you and we ask that now in jesus name everyone agree with me said amen. amen would you turn with me in your bibles to the last part of mark chapter 7 we're coming to the end of the chapter we've seen the lord do miracles walk on water heal the sick and and as many, it says, as were sick, they were laying them in the marketplaces on the side of the, of the marketplace and just entreating Jesus to pass by. Remember that at the end of chapter 6? That just even that his shadow would fall on them. That as soon as Jesus passed by, the people were being healed. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think that's just awesome. That the, the, the miracles that the Lord was performing, it, it set him apart from all the rabbis in, in his day, you know, the rabbis, even to this day in Israel, if you listen to them teach, they teach like this. They go, well, we suppose that this passage means, or we think it might mean, and they teach a lot of this, what I call speculative style of teaching. It's, um, it could possibly mean this, or it might possibly mean that, or we suppose it could be this. And Jesus shows up, and he says, and the kingdom of God, he doesn't say so might be like this, or the kingdom of God might no, he said the kingdom of heaven is like this. Is? The kingdom of heaven is this way. He taught with authority. And they said, Who is this guy? And where did he get this authority? And besides that, where did he get all this power? All these, you know, miracles are happening and the 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 dead are being raised and the and the people the lame are are you know, rising to their feet and not just walking, I mean, leaping and praising God. And now I went over this last week, but how did this make the religious leaders feel? Did they awesome. say... Awesome, they were so they, happy they're so happy. people were being healed. Yeah, right. praise God, God is working and thank you, Lord, for doing these... Mer- no. <coughs> they went all the way from Jerusalem to seek Jesus out all the way up by the Sea of Galilee, that, a journey that's a, at least 80 miles by... The, the, the general route you would take would be go over to Jericho, then over up the Jordan and follow the water. You gotta, it's a desert, by the way. If you didn't grow up in a desert, I know somebody will say, it's shorter if you just, as the crow flies. I said, how did they fly as the crow back then? I mean, there's no crow flight uh, available. There's no, there's no planes. I mean, you, they had to walk. And if you had to walk, you don't want to walk the straight line from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee because you'd be crossing through mountains and it's a lot of, you know, up, down, up, down. You're better off just going through the valley that leads over to Jericho, get along the, the lower 
lands uh, right next to water and walk all the way up from from the area of what we call the Dead Sea, if you take that and you go along the Jordan River all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. Now they went, that's a, that's, and I'm saying a minimum of 80 miles. They, this is the, the religious leaders went all the way up there and what was the first thing they had to say to Jesus? You remember? Good job. Yeah, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? You know, they don't wash in a, according to the tradition of the elders. They don't sit and ceremonially wash before they eat. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. Right? It's what comes out of the mouth. And these guys had missed the boat. They just, they, they were not, they had so many rules about what you ate. And you, didn't, you had to follow the dietary law, the Levitical law. And if you don't eat this particular way, then... You are unholy, and here, you know, it's kind of funny to me. They got the Son of God visiting the earth. You think that they? I, I always think it, the the religious leader should have been the first one to spot. All right, the Messiah's here. They were the ones that Herod went to when Herod said, "Hey, I got some disturbing news. These um, magi showed up. They were asking me, where is he who's born King of the Jews?" So you religious guys, tell me. Well. Where's the king of the Jews supposed to be born? What's it say? And, and the, Yeah, and they went and they looked and they said, well, it says right here, Micah 5.2, that you, O Bethlehem, least among the clans, you'll be blessed. And this is where the... So they came back, they told Herod, in Bethlehem the Messiah is to be born. Now the religious leaders were able to figure out from the scripture where the Messiah was to be born. Last week we had communion, so we, we pointed out that, you know, when you take communion, it's kind of... Jesus came down, he said, I am the bread of life that has come down out of heaven. Right? Any man that eats of him, they have what? Everlasting life. Here comes life. Everlasting, given to you. And he says, and, and, and I always try to point this out, the bread of life just coincidentally is born in a place called Bethlehem, which translates from Hebrew, Beth is house, Lay is of, and Ham, if you don't know what that is in Hebrew, it's bread. So the bread of life just coincidentally is born in a place called the house of bread. Now, is that cryptic? I mean, is that not a clue? Like, like the Lord, I think the Lord just laughs. We when, think uh, it might mean this. Yeah, and we think it might mean, we, we just don't, come on, man. It's like, and Jesus, even his name, the translation of Jesus' name in Hebrew, Jesus' name in Hebrew isn't Jesus. That's the English translation of Jesus' name. Who can tell me the Hebrew? If you looked up Jesus' name, no, Yahshua, Yahshua, which is Yehovah Shua contracted, a contraction. We, you know, we'd say would not, wouldn't. Well, they say they use contraction form of Jesus' name is Yehovah Shua, and you put a little contraction, same thing that we do, that little apostrophe thing, but it's Yahshua. They don't say the name of the Lord; they just say. Yah for that first letter. Yahshua, which Yahshua is um, Yehovah Shua. The name of the Lord is Yehovah. And Shua means salvation. So when you walked up to Jesus and said, What's your name? He said, uh, Yehovah Shua or Yahshua. They know the contraction. But when you say your name is Yahshua, you're saying, What's your name? Um, the Lord's salvation. Let's see, that's, that's kind of cryptic. I don't know if we can figure out, who's the Messiah now? 
And, and what's your name again, Mister? Um, the Lord's salvation. I mean, it's like there's not a, to the Jew, okay, that knows. I mean, they know Hebrew. There's no hidden meaning in this. The bread of life is born at the house of bread. The 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 Savior is called God's salvation. It's kind of clear. That's his name. Another name he gets given is Emmanuel by the angel. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which translates, you guys know, God with us. Wow, that's... How many friends do you have that said, I wish God would... If he's really real, why doesn't he show himself? Show up and let us know he's really real. I go, oh, you, you, you might not know this, but he already did. I mean, we got this whole book here. It, it explains that Jesus came... And when the disciples said, could you just show us the Father, it will suffice? What was his answer? Have I been with you so so long a time? He said, if you've seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. I came to show you the Father. Guys, I mean, he's probably just going, oh, that's, that's his own disciples. But when it came to the religious leaders, it's, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. They figured out that he was the one that was to be born in Bethlehem. By the time he grows up, they go trekking over 80 miles to get up there and say, you guys aren't washing your hands. According to the tradition of the elders. Tis, tis. You're going to be, you know, unclean. You're, 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 you're going to defy yourself. And Jesus goes, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. When are you guys going to learn this? It goes in your mouth through your stomach, out your digestive tract, and and that's not what defiles you. It's what comes out of the heart. It proceeds out of a man's mouth. That's what defiles. Now, Jesus has just got done teaching this. The disciples are still digesting what he said, I'm sure, but they're, they're not exactly, like, they don't have it all down. You guys figured this out yet when you read the story? They're like, uh, excuse me, when we get back to, they get back in, you know, away from the other guys. <clears throat> Excuse me, Lord, could you explain what you just taught? We didn't quite get that. All right, you guys. And even and by the way, I'm really glad they didn't get it. See, I got Gober asking me questions about the Lord. He's like, I hope you don't mind. I'm asking you another question. I hope you don't. He asked me another question. And then, could I ask another question? I'm like, yeah. Do you think that the Lord minded that they asked him questions? Yeah. No. You hear her, I was like, Oh my goodness, you guys have another question? They, did, no. they didn't get it. And thankfully, you know, for, when people say to me, I don't know if the account of the Bible is really real. I think they had collusion and they, they made up a story. I was thinking, no way. And they're like, why do you think no way? I said, if I made up a story about me being with the Savior of the world, who would be the superstar in the story? Duh. Duh, me. And... And would I ever have a stupid question that, you know, I didn't know the answer? Like, I would make somebody else in this story have the stupid question. I would always know the answer, right? If, if it's me, I'm just pointing this out. The, the reality of when you read the scripture, you realize these guys didn't have a clue. But they also had humility enough to say, I, didn't I don't know. And by the way, if someone ever asks you a question of, of spiritual matters... And what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about that? And you don't know the answer. What is the appropriate answer? I don't know. I don't know. See, because the devil loves to ensnare us into, into this little trap that he uses all the time. It's worked. 
The only reason he keeps using it is because it works. Prideful men will, you know, kind of, we call it BS their way through the answer. Like, like they'll make up something. You don't need to make up anything on, the, uh, on God's part. You do not need to defend him. If you don't know the answer, you say, I don't know that. But what I do know, go back to what you do know. And see what God will do through that testimony of what he has shown you. You know, that's what Paul did. He said, guys, I only deliver to you that which I receive from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, we just did this last week in, the, in celebrating communion. He said, that which I received from the Lord in the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Now, he, he well, I pointed this out before, but was Paul at the table, you know, with the, the, the 12 apostles? Because he's called an apostle. Was, was he one of the 12? Do you guys know the answer to this? No, he was not. In fact, he was a guy named Saul who would become one of the first persecutors of the church, Saul would be out with a letter from these religious leaders giving him permission to lock up anyone who claimed that they belonged to this way, this, this, this thing, what the Jesus is called, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through. And so he's got permission to lock up the believers, and he's out killing Christians, locking them up, having him beaten, and the Lord... Well, what does the Lord do? The Lord goes flick on the head. No, Gib slaps him. He smites him with blindness on the road. And, and, and when, uh, when this happens, Saul comes with a, a quick comeback. Um, who art thou, Lord? Who, yeah, because the voice came and said, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecutest me? And his quick comeback was, um, who art thou, Lord, that I might serve thee? You know, like he's blind. He can't even see. It says, the Lord appeared brighter than the sun at high noon and blinded him. And his quick comeback was, uh, excuse me, who are you? He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, Jesus had already died and rose again. So who was he actually persecuting? I mean, who was he picking on? The Christians. I love this. This is, this is why I joke that Jesus is part Sicilian because he, he wasn't, okay, he's Jewish. I know, I know. But, but his attitude is, look, you're picking on my followers, my family. my family, and the way I was raised in my Sicilian upbringing, if you pick on my family, you're picking on me. I mean, you pick on them, you pick the fight with me. Because, you know, we're family. And he, Jesus does, he does what I would do. If you picked on my family, I would say you just picked the fight with me you did you, you really want to do that but see when you're Jesus he's got tools in his toolbox I don't I mean he smote him with blindness just from the brightness of his count now he's resurrected at this point can you imagine the resurrected Jesus shows up and all of a sudden Saul's blinded he's going and a voice says who why are you persecuting me Saul and he goes uh, um, who are you I'm Jesus. He goes, uh, oh. Oops. Big mistake. And for the next three days, it says there that in, book, in the book of Acts that God, Jesus told him all that Paul would suffer for his namesake. And he also changed his name from Saul to Paul. Saul in Hebrew means desirable. 
it's um it's like tall handsome you know it's it, it, it's it's that it's that um it's it's kind of it's kind of the I guess in English we say like the, the, the equivalent to the GQ look, you know, the real handsome, put them on the front of the magazine. That was, that's what in Hebrew Saul means. You know, you know, name your kid Saul, that's a pretty nice name, you know, give him like the, the leg up. But the Lord goes, we're not going to call you Saul anymore, we're going to call you Paul. Now what does Paul mean in Hebrew? Little one. we got to deflate you a little, you're a little too... Too full of your own self, so we're not calling you, you know, desirable one. We're going to call you little one, and he literally changed just one letter. But it, in Hebrew, it changes the whole meaning of his name from desirable to little. He says, "Now I'm going to use you, you little one, for my kingdom's sake." And he goes from being the greatest persecutor of the faith to one of the greatest proclaimers of the faith. But he did not sit at the table for communion. He wasn't there. He didn't even come to follow the Lord till after Jesus had died and rose and, and, and after he'd been on a killing spree against Christians. And now, God goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. And yet he says, I deliver to you that which the Lord, what? Delivered to me. I'm going to tell you what he taught me. That in the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus told Saul about the night he was betrayed. And he told them about how he took the bread and how he took the cup. It's so interesting because one of the most quoted communion messages that gets used in churches today comes from a guy who wasn't at the table. But where did he get his info? From the source. The guy who was there. From the Lord. And I love this because, you know, Christians today, they say, well, I wish that I, wish that I would have been there. And I say, well, you do know that we still have the same source, right? Even if you weren't at the table. How many of you ever wish that you could have been back in Jesus' day and seen Jesus in action? You know, like, like today we're going to come to this part in Mark where I tell you I would have loved to just been there. I, 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 now, I'm not the type that, I, in school, I was the kid who always sat in the front row. Because, I, first of all, I'm a people watcher. So if I'm back a couple rows, I'm not really going to be able to pay attention because I'm going to be staring at everything else going on in the classroom. So I figured that out, and I moved forward and get in the front. And literally, I learned in college, if it was open seating, I'd go to the front center seat right in front of the teacher because that way I had the least chances of getting distracted by everything else. And I could focus better, right? So I'd sit right there. Right, front and center. And I think if I was back in these days with Jesus, I would have had to have been like Peter or James. or I, I picked Peter because he at least had the guts to say, you know, that, that walking on the water story we just studied, if it's really you, Lord, bid me to come. I would have been the guy getting out of the boat. I admit it. I would, I would have been the adventuresome crazy one going, yeah, that, uh, I want to try, you know. Even if Peter went first, I'd be like, me too, me too, can I go, you know, can I walk away? I noticed that only one out of 12 were adventuresome enough to say, bid me to come to you. I, I realize I'm finally figuring this out. Not everyone is wired with the adventuresome gene like me. But if I look around this room, I can see i got a few of you. Who, who would have who said, Lord, bid me to come to you on the water? 
Okay, see, now look, we represent quite an adventuresome group right here. We, we all know that he could walk on water. Yeah, well, it does, it does help. I mean, I probably wouldn't have said Laura bid me come. I probably would have been one of the people that said, me too, me too. I, I would have. I, Once I saw I, you your first like, three steps, I was like, me too, me too. I, don't know, just miracles I, I, by I know, he had done so many miracles already, guys. Yeah. He had fed the 5,000. He had been doing miracles. People have been being brought to him, the sick, the lame. And now we get to this part. We're going to just conclude chapter 7 today. In the end of chapter 7, I got to introduce, just, just read the first line about this fella. He's a guy who's deaf, and he's got a, he, he can speak, but it's, you know, have, have any of you been around a deaf person who learned to speak just by, maybe either by feeling vibration on the chest of someone else, and they try to, they, they literally use vibration to match and try to make words, but it's a little bit broken up. And they can't actually hear how good, you know, smooth speech sounds, so they're doing the best. It's a little bit stuttery and broken up, and this guy had that problem. He's completely deaf, and he speaks with a real impediment when he does speak. And he's going to come to Jesus. Now this, I love this one, okay? Here's what happens. I'll tell you why in just a second. He says, so Jesus... Jesus, it says in verse 31, And again he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. That's Deca is ten, and Polis in, in Greek is ten cities. Within the region of the ten cities, that's the place where the, where the guy who had been delivered from the demons and the, and the pigs went into the swine, he said, Go to your home and declare what great things God has done for you. He's the only one that we have knowledge of going to Decapolis and sharing the gospel. Jesus comes back to the coastline, not to the not to Decapolis, just to that re, to that area, the coastline on that side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they bring to Jesus one who is deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they entreated him to lay his hands upon him. Lord, can you fix him? Can you do? Can you just lay your hands on him? Do your do your do your stuff. And so Jesus took him aside from the multitude by himself and he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, it says, he touched his tongue with the saliva. I don't know. Did he go, and then give me your tongue and, and touch it or, you know, I mean, like literally, this is pretty, like, yeah, I mean, he took him aside now, okay? It doesn't say he did it in front of everybody. Now, first of all, they said, can you just... Lay your hands on him and, and make him well. Well, Jesus does, but Jesus pulls him aside and first he takes his fingers and sticks them in the guy's ears, okay? Wet willy. Wet willy. <laughs> and then he takes saliva, his spit. Now, you'd say, this is not conventional medicine, you know. <laughs> STDs or, you know, what about... It's the Son of God, don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. He's not going to get sick, okay? So he spits... And he touches a guy's tongue with saliva. Now, how many of you read this story? I mean, some people don't even notice these details until I tell the story. They're like, really? The spit thing is in the Bible? I'm like, yeah. I didn't make it up, man. This is, this is yeah, the mud. Remember he made spittle. Yeah, the, to the blind guy, he, he took spittle, it says, which is spit and dirt, mixed it up, made a little paste, put it on the guy's blind guy's eyes, and said, go, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Now, the Pool of Siloam, from where he was, is down this... I've been there to Israel. 
it's down this like treacherous little back walkway that I'm thinking, Lord, that's kind of mean. You sent this guy like on a long trek down to the Pool of Siloam to wash. And by the time he gets there, it's, it's pretty far away from where they were. It wasn't like, I always thought, why did you send the poor blind guy like wandering through the that, that back? Well, first of all, it's a dark back alleyway, but when you're blind, I guess it doesn't matter because you don't, you know, it's all black anyway. But he gets all the way down to the Pool of Siloam and he washes and what happens? He can see. But see, Jesus is now far away removed from the miracle taking. But I always wondered, why did he make the miracle take place away from where he was? Why didn't he just let it happen right where he was? But we're going to see today, there's a reason. What happens every time he keeps doing these miracles? Is the word getting out? Watch this. It says here, he, he, well, let me just finish what happens. He, he sticks the fingers in the ears, he puts the saliva on, his to- on the man's tongue, and he looks up to heaven with a deep sigh. And he says, Ipethath, the, or be opened in English we'd say. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And then, verse 36, he gave orders. What he ordered them to do? Don't, Don't tell anyone. anyone. But the more he ordered them, the Not more widely they pro- continued to proclaim it, and they were utterly astonished that he had done all these things. He done uh, uh, he done all these things well, and they said, and he even makes the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak. Okay, they were just shocked. The, the now, if you're one of the religious leaders, wouldn't you be going? Let's see, bread of life, born at house of bread. Uh, does the miracles makes the deaf to hear? Isn't that a verse somewhere? See, what should they have gone? You know, clue, but ding, that's a verse that was prophesied. Isaiah said. If they had blueletterbible.com. Yeah, if they had blue letter like we do, they would have said, "Of course, look." It's fulfillment from the Old Testament, what was prophesied of the Messiah and His coming. They would have just clued in. But did they clue in to who was right in front of them? No. Too much pride. They were jealous. They're jealous that He's got such a big crowd following Him. And I mean, when we talk big, you know, when you got 5,000 men... By the way, in the next chapter, what happens in, in chapter 8, the very first... Some of you guys got little subtitles above your chapter. Just tell me... Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus feeds the 4,000. Wait a minute, it was 5,000, right? Now he's got... This is not the same time, guys. This is another time. He's going to feed 4,000. Now, they only counted the men. Sorry, gals. They, they just took the head count of heads of households. So children, women and children don't get counted in the head count. So he... So he's going to feed 4,000 more. And the crowds are like, we love this guy. He teaches great sermons about the kingdom of heaven. He feeds us, right? He heals us. He takes care of Make him king, man. They, they're like, they, they, and, 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 then, and then he's humble. He doesn't say, you know, go tell everybody. He's like, shh, don't say nothing. Of course, that doesn't... I have got to amend my ways. From now on, yeah. no more. I tell you the story. Don't tell a single soul, okay? Just let it burn inside you. But don't tell anyone. Because it seems like... She, the more that you tell people, don't tell them, what do they do? They go, tell. I made the mistake. I was... All my youth... 
leader days, I used to tell the kids, tell your friends to come to youth group. You know, spread the word. I was going about it all wrong. I should have said, shh, don't tell anyone, it's a secret. Okay? They would have just... Really good at it, 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 yeah, yeah, because yeah. they're so good at it. It would have just exploded. Mine had a slow growth, okay? But I think I'm going to amend my ways. What I teach you today, don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Jesus does his stuff. But don't tell anyone because, see, some people, even religious leaders, today, think, whoa, how come he does that over there, but he's not doing that in our group? And they get jealous. They, they, they you know, well, they don't follow the traditions of the church like we have them. And, you know, and I, I'm thinking, you know, I remember in early Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, um, at his particular fellowship at Costa Mesa, they they were teaching the word and lots of people were getting saved. And there was another Calvary Chapel just down the way at Lord Belinda. This guy John Wimber was pastoring it. And John Wimber had come out of Chuck Smith's ministry. And so they were at the end of John Wimber's services. They were saying, if anyone needs prayer, we'll pray for you. Just like, and they, they did a similar thing at Costa Mesa. But at John Wimber's church, they were praying and like miracles were happening. I mean, the, like this kind of stuff, you know. Deaf were hearing and, and blind were seeing and lame people were walking and pretty soon word was getting back to Costa Mesa, Calvary, and they're going, you know, um, they have uh, like, wow, like miracles happen. How come miracles aren't happening here? Finally, Chuck said, you know what, these people, they, they, it says in the Bible, when you compare yourself one with another, you do one thing, it's a three-letter word. You something when you compare. What is fill in the blank? No, air. you err when you compare. That's what the scriptures teaches. You err. You make an error. Whenever you compare one ministry to another ministry, you already you, doesn't matter what you're about to say. It's an error because we're not supposed to compare. We should just say, "Praise God!" Whatever God's doing through those guys, praise the Lord. Chuck Smith's over here preaching the gospel, and hippies are getting saved. And then so many hippies got saved. They had a, they had a, literally a circus tent yeah. that, that they rented from Barnum and Bailey Circus, the ginormous tent. Those are big, big top tents. And all these hippies were in there getting saved. And, and it was in the middle of an orange grove. And, and Chuck was worried about it getting, it was getting too cold. And in the orange grove, when the, when the, when the frost is coming, they have these things called smudge pots. I don't know if any of you know what a smudge pot is, but a smudge pot... It's this cast iron contraption that's filled with this crude oil that you light inside. And, and it, it sits in the fields with the uh, trees and it gives off this, radiates some heat. And it just keeps the, the oranges, you know, like if, if too early a frost comes, it can kill your whole crop of oranges. So they put these smudge pots down the runs and, and basically kind of try to create a little thermal blanket, you know, of... Because heat rises, just just enough to keep the trees... Basically a bunch the, of little campfires. Little campfires without burning the trees on fire, okay? They're in these smudge pots. Well, the, the, they were having a cold snap, and Chuck Smith, he's like, what are we going to do? So he got some of the guys, and they went into the field, and they got the smudge pots, and they put them in the tent. Because, you know, they figured they use them as warmers. And they left them on all night in the tent. But smudge pots are... They give off this noxious smell of this crude oil they came in in the morning it was so bad that the, the, the tent just reeked they had to they had to hike up all the walls of the tent and let the air blow through 
and and then of course now all the cold air sweeps in. It felt nice and warm, but it stunk. They said like crazy. And so there was there was many a time they were just praying. Oh God, wouldn't it be nice if we had a, a place we could meet without having smudge pots and and problems like this? And finally they got their first building. They were excited. We have a building, you know. And they built they built it on the the land that was a orange orchard, and built this building and. And they got in there, and everybody's all praise the Lord. But but it had concrete floors, just plain old concrete, you know. And they put the the pews or chairs, whatever they had in there, and, and everyone everybody's all, who cares? Praise the Lord! We don't have to. We we can actually turn on central heating. And they had built the, you know, they're like, yes, no more smudge pots, and they're all rejoicing. Finally, they got enough money raised, and they got carpet, this kind of carpet. See my lanai, the Indoor, outdoor carpet. They had that kind of carpet in the sanctuary. And it was a, it was a, it was like a really big deal. Like, yeah, we have graduated from dirt to concrete to carpet, you know. And yay! And and some of the some of the board members at Calvary Coast Mesa came to Chuck and said, you know, we have this new building and we have this new carpet, and we have all these hippies that are getting saved and 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 they're barefoot. And their feet are dirty, and they're they're dirtying our new carpet. And um, we're gonna have to make some rules about you know you gotta wear some shoes that are clean, or you know wash your feet or something, you know. And I'm thinking they don't say, hey, we should have a foot washing ceremony like in the Bible, like Jesus, and wash their feet. No, they're like commanding that they can't come in because they don't have, because they're barefoot and their feet are dirty. And Chuck goes, let me get this right. Last week when we had concrete. The hippies were welcome. When we had the tent and dirt floors, the hippies were welcome. And there's been this revival of these young people coming to Jesus. This is, you know, but now we have carpet. We have a building with carpet, and they're not welcome. And you know what his answer was? He told the board, rip out the carpet. And they went, what? He goes, tear it out. They were welcome last week. The only thing that's changed is that we have carpet, and now they're not welcome. We need to go back to to tear it out because what are we here for? Are we here to make a fancy building or are we here to reach souls? And his board was like, oh. And they, no, he's fine. They, they, so, so they just like, shut him down. They're like, all right, all right, they can come in. We just have to get some carpet cleaners. You know. Well, fine. So it's like, you can clean the carpet all you want, but don't make a rule that they can't come in. Because you, you missed the point of the whole you know, why are we here? To help people. You know? Don't make stuff the issue. It's the people. Well, people have compared one ministry to another ministry. And, and, my, and since my, my Christian upbringing was in a Calvary Chapel, where we didn't have a building. We went to a school, a junior high, and we literally took their cafeteria and set up chairs there and took the, the band room and made it into a Sunday school. You know, we had different parts of the school for our, our classes. and I realized early on, it, God doesn't really care about the building, does he? Who, what does he care about? What, when Jesus got here, did he say, let's have a building program. Put a thermometer on the wall. We need to raise some funds and we're going to build a building. For, right? Did Jesus ever... You, you know how they have those fundraisers with a thermometer? I always crack up. Did Jesus ever do that? 
No, what did what? Outside. Yeah, they were outside. You, like yeah, us on, point, on the beach. Typically, the building, guys. Typically, our beach. service on the beach is. I think if Jesus was here today, he'd be out there. And the people, and the people, the people came to him. And the religious leaders are like, but this isn't in a building. This is in our building. So it must not be spiritual. You know, couldn't possibly be as good as what we have. And I'm like thinking, let me see, how many deaf, dumb people got healed at your service? How many, now... I, I had a, uh, this week we're praying for the Baptist church, the Kona Baptist church. And, um, you know, guys, within Christianity, some, some of the sects of Christianity today say, well, these things, what Jesus did, and, and you read the book of Acts, his dis- Jesus said, the things what I do, what did he tell his disciples? Would they do those same things or more or less or even more, he said. said his dis- and if you read the book of Acts, what happens you start turning the pages. There's Peter, Peter and John. They're going in. By the way, here I'll just show you where it is because somebody later will say, "Where do you get these stories?" I I forget. I just look. It's on the right hand side of the page in Acts, in the first part of the book of Acts. Turn to Acts. It might not be on the right in your Bible, but in chapter three on the right, far right, right here, it says Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour. That's the three p.m. Jewish prayer time. And so they, they go for the hour of prayer, and the, this is after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Okay, and the Holy Spirit had been poured out there in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, upon the, the disciples. And they went out proclaiming the gospel. Now they go to the temple to pray. And as they're going to the temple, what happens? Very first, I mean, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out on the church. They're going up to the temple to pray, and what, and what do they encounter? A crippled lame man, right? Begging at the gate beautiful. And so they they encountered him and it says that he was there, the certain man who had been lame, how long? From birth. From his mother's womb, from birth. He was being carried along and they used to set him down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms and all from the, all those who were entering the temple. This is the main entrance to Solomon's portico up into the temple. The beautiful gate. And they put, they went strategic. This guy's been lame his whole life. They laid him. Now, if you've been lame your entire life, how big would your muscles on your legs be? How big, they'd be like, yeah, you'd be like pencils, you know? Pen, yeah, and sores. Yeah, can you imagine the sores on your backside from not, you know, I mean, literally just stuck there. And so he would beg. Have a, you know, his little tin cup begging alms from the from the people going into the temple. Now when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on upon the man and said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter... How much money did Peter have, by the way? Not Nothing. Now this... This is just to, to close today's study, but just to, to make you understand something. Peter has nothing. In fact, I'll, I'll just read it to you right here from the Bible so you know. He says to him plainly in verse 6, he says, I do not possess silver nor gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Now what did he have? He said, in the name of Jesus, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarene, Jesus Christ, he says, in his name, walk. And then it says, and seizing him by the right hand, Peter raised him up. Peter's a fisherman. Back then, uh, by the way, historically there's accounts written by historians that Peter was a pretty burly guy. I mean, you had to be. To fish, there was no Evan Rude, Johnson, Johnson. They had to row the boats and drag. If you've ever paddled, we in Hawaii culture, because of paddling, I was the steersman when we first came here. I got drafted by some of the guys in our church in the early founding of our church. We had a couple paddlers. They were these big buff guys. They were what they called the engine seats. Three, four, five in the in the in the big canoe. Okay, full size canoe, eight guys, eight man crew. And then then and of course I weighed all of hundred and twenty pounds back then. So guess where I got to sit in the canoe? On the very back, they made me, they said, well, since you can sing and keep um, a rhythm, you're the, you're the caller. And you, you know how to read the waves from Windsor and stuff. So you steer the boat and you call the, the cadence of the, of the paddling. Okay. You know, so I'm at the back steering. I only have to stroke a little bit just to, like, kind of fine-tune the, the, the steering of the boat. And these guys, I'm, I'm with them. The guys in the middle of the boat are these massive, strong... You see the, the guys around here really... In, I was on a crew that were winning all the time. Until they started moving the races to Saturday and Sunday. And I said, wait a minute, you guys know I'm a pastor. You, I mean, you go to church with me. You're at my church. I, I, I don't skip church to go. But paddling's like a national thing here. I mean, it's like a, it's a big deal. We're going to Honolulu to race.